Well, welcome to Cooper Talk. I'm your host, Steve Cooper. And remember, I'm only as hip as my guests. And I have to tell you, I'm, uh, I'm flying out. But as we, we speak, I'm going to be on a plane. Uh, as you hear this tomorrow, I'm going to be on a plane. And it's really weird because, you know, I'm going back east. And then the lovely Joanne's moving out at the end of October. But I've been going back. So it's just going to be crazy. I talked about this the first hour. It's just really weird. And I'm, I'm getting to watch the Eagles play on Sunday. I'm very excited. But the problem is they're playing Denver in Denver. And I know they're going to get their ass kicked. And I it's going to be sad because Peyton Manning's just so, so good. And I'm sorry that people have sat there and actually tried to compare Peyton and Eli and saying Eli's better because he has uh, two rings. Well, you know what? Peyton is one of the best quarterbacks I've ever seen. And Eli basically looks like uh, looks like Lenny from Of Mice and Men. And the bottom line is the whole thing with the rings, if you can argue about the rings, put it this way. Trent Dilfer has one more ring than Dan Marino. So that's all I'm saying. And I hate the Giants and they look like crap and I'm happy. But enough about me. We have a guest, my guest today. It's funny. I, I hit him up on Facebook and it just turns out that we did a show together at Michael's uh, with Joseph. How you doing, Joe? Hey, good to be here, man. Thanks for having me, Steve. It's just so funny when you said it because I remember your hair was falling down. He has, he has very good hair. Crazy people. hair. And for a bald person, <laughs> we get we get, we get the thing with Joe. Uh, I, I feel bad because, uh, yeah, people... Um, um, I like to refer to your haircut as God's haircut. It's okay, the fi- it's the final haircut, and you know what though? You look good with the shaved head because there's a lot of friends out there that are you know got the hair challenge going on, and they and they shave their head, and you you know they're like you, they don't you can't wear the bald look. Some men, you know, maybe they had an accident when they were a kid. They slammed skateboarding or you know uh, riding their bike, and they have the scar, and it's there. But you look great. With the shaved down look. Thank you. Know? you. I, I think I have a nice shaped head. You do. You, but, but the funny thing is, what is weird, and you might, because you, your hair, of course, you don't wear any hats, yeah, I'm getting. I don't. Do you wear my, ha- my hair looks like a hat. People, people now, at this age that I'm at, I'm not making this up. People, people will make, like, I have a friend of mine, um, and, you know, he's an older guy, and his hair's gray, and he'll he'll say, oh, yeah, you know, Joseph, you dye your hair. And I go, no, I don't. And, and, and my wife will be at dinner, and I'm like, Joe, you know, I, I, Joe doesn't dye his hair. And and it's just one of those things that, like, my hair literally, I don't know what it is. My grandma, you know, dyed it, like, 80, and she still had black hair. So it might, it's a gene, I don't it's know. It's got to be. I it's mean, crazy, though. But it's, it's good. I, it looks it, good. Thank you. Thank I you. wish I had hair. I mean, the funny thing is about hats, so I wear hats a lot. And what's weird is I look good in hats. Except well, it, with the, the shaved down look in a hat, you look great. But the weird thing is... When I had hair, I looked good in baseball hats. Now that I'm shaved, I look like a dick in that baseball <laughs> hat. It's like they don't fit weird. It's like I don't know if it just. It's a, you know it's what like, it is? It's it doesn't actually. It's the uh, there's too much of the hat to go around the head, so you kind of have that that like almost like the chemotherapy. Like oh, he has to wear the hat. Something bad has happened. You know. Okay, so uh, I, I I I met you once, but now, now you're California. You're from California, right? Well, you know, I was raised in California, born though Philadelphia. Get out of here! Yeah, I grew up in Cherry Hill, New Jersey. We'll, we'll check it out of here. My parents from the Northeast. You're gonna you're gonna hate this because I literally was made there, born there, and then left two weeks after I was born. My parents were basically heading out to California. They thought they were gonna have me out here, and my mom uh, from Philadelphia, my dad from Queens. They met on a cruise uh, in uh, Bermuda, and or not a yeah a cruise in Bermuda. They ended up getting together, and then they moved. To the, you know, it was during the time it was the late late. It was early '60s, and uh, they wanted to get out of like the whole. I think um, 
family, Italian, Irish, Catholic, a lot of rules, and they came out to the West Coast where they both set up shop in Santa Cruz, California. So I've grown up on the in Northern California and Southern California my whole entire life. Now you, uh, I know you. I've seen you read your bio. You were a big skateboarder as a skateboarder, kid. Skateboarder, man, still am. I still skateboard. Did you know one of the first skateboard parks in the country was in Cherry Hill, New Jersey? Absolutely, Cherry. Yeah, Cherry Hill, New Jersey, and it was an indoor skate park. That's funny because I used, cause I I used to, to see photos of it okay, all the time. I, I used to wait. I used to work at Planet Hollywood in Beverly Hills, and there was a guy named Michael Horton, Michael Norton, who was a big s- skateboarder. And he used to always say he used to go see his mom or his stepmom in Cherry Hill. Cherry Hill, and he'd talk about the uh, the skate skate park. The skate because back then. The thing that was that was we there was only a couple of magazines. There was Skateboarder, and then there was a magazine called Action Now, and then there was a magazine called Thrasher. And and the thing was is that was your internet. You would get this magazine once a month, and you'd see photographs of other skateboarders from around the world, uh, from around the United States, and a lot of you know photos you would see you would see at these parks. And uh, Cherry Hill was a skate park that everyone talked about. And the thing that was different for me growing up um, on the West Coast was our parks. Um, the few that we had were all outside, and the skateboard parks uh, on you know East Coast were had to be inside. I remember the skate magazines because I remember I, you would mail you would always see what you wanted to get. Like I know I think I had OJ Juice wheels and tracker oh, totally. tracker was it tracker truckers tracker no tracker trucks tracker trucks yeah and, and, and I rode was, indies. Okay. There was a big war between the tracker <laughs> like there was guys that rode tracker trucks and then there was guys that rode independent tracker trucks were um, kind of geared. Uh, more towards uh, the skaters that um, I would say, um, like like Steve Caballero, uh, one of the best skateboarders ever um, to come out of actually San Jose, California. He rode trackers at the beginning, and the Northern California crew and uh, Southern California crew, like Dwayne Peters, Steve Alba, all these skaters, everyone rode independent. Independent was uh, put together in the Bay Area and was actually you know owned, manufactured there, and it was a there was a very big difference between kids that rode tracker trucks and independent trucks and uh, it's funny because to this day it, you know i'm 46 years old i still ride indies and uh it, it's almost like i have to like i i've had people send other trucks to me to ride like you should try these you should i'm like no i have to, i have to show my allegiance to independent now the skateboarding scene i mean so it must have been so much different because in new jersey it wasn't much because you get you get closed down by even though it's inside you can't go outside in the winter you can't you know anything that was it like when you were starting the skateboard i mean did it because your friends did it you got into it or is it just something you wanted to do my whole my whole thing with skateboarding for me was i just wasn't good at sports okay and at that point uh you know as a little kid growing up you know i, I played baseball i got into you know you go from uh coach pitch uh into you know the player actually pitching towards you and i was just i would just freak out when there was this kid that was throwing this ball at me at you know 80 miles an hour i was like whoa what's going on here i wasn't good and then when i got into playing basketball and stuff i mean i was so bad that like i'd go to all the practices i'd go to all the you know the games and the and the coach literally would not put me in like i remember when i was in seventh grade i was because i went to good shepherd this like catholic uh school in santa cruz this like little private school and we were playing holy cross and it was the last game and I remember, you know, there's literally like 40 seconds on the clock and the coach would still not put me oh, in. And it was like a scene out of Rudy. Like everyone on the bench was like, put Joe in. It just sports didn't click with me. So when I when I discovered skateboarding, you know, in, in 80, 81, um, that really all of a sudden it was a sport that I, I actually grew at and got good at and then the thing i loved about it was there were no coaches there was no one pushing you except yourself and the other skaters so it really was like one of those first you know times in my life that 
I was around a group of kids that I didn't know. Everyone was skating. Every you know, there's definitely people that were great. Like I said, I grew up with one of the great skateboarders. You know, to this day, Steve Caballero. I mean, the man. You know, he's and he and he's, he skates even better now than he did when he was a kid. But. So, you know, you knew he was better than everybody. He was sponsored by Pal Peralta. He like in on, sports, yeah. you know that one kid who stands out. It's the you same knew, thing. You yeah. knew that guy was you a knew. stud. You would watch him skate, and you're like, I am not that good. But the thing that I loved about skateboarding uh, was that all the other skaters pushed each other, and it wasn't really about... Um, they used to have this thing uh, where you'd say to each other, just shut up and skate, which basically said, don't talk about it. Just, you know, get up here, skate with the rest of us. It didn't matter how good you were. It was just participating. And I love that. And then, you know, the whole culture of skateboarding for me, I mean, skateboarding was really the, the gateway to the rest of my life because you know, at that moment, I'm I've grown up in the woods with my mom and dad, and you know, I'm only listening to what they're listening to on their stereo. And and at that point, it was everything from like the Beatles to ABBA to you know the the Beach Boys to the Bee Gees to Dean Martin, Frank Sinatra. So the music I'd only grown up with my parents' music, but when I went to the skateboard park, it's I mean. I remember to this day, there was this kid, I don't even know his name, it was Andy Berenson's older brother, and he was over there, he had a boombox, this huge boombox. Remember the boomboxes? They were great. I Everyone them. played them. We used to walk down the boardwalk in New Jersey when I was younger, my buddy Mark Esposito would play Don't Fear the Reaper by Blue Oyster Cult and that whole thing, and you had the cassette, and you just, it was like, and you'd hold it, or you'd hold it, and you'd sit down on the boardwalk. You almost had to have your friend and, help you carry it. Yeah, and it, it was so great though, it was like, just like, and no one got offended, like, not like when you see these cars going boom, boom there because it was like everyone's like oh that's a cool song you know and it would just sit there and you'd walk so okay so you, your buddy no i just just the, the same exact experience you know you're, you're hearing music out of this ghetto blaster this this music that i'd never heard before in my entire life and and i i would spend the day skating i'd get there in the morning and i'd hear this music and the music that i was hearing i, I could i couldn't even describe what it was because it sounded like like a like a spaceship had just landed and the jams that were coming out of there were were bands like 999, The Clash, The Ramones, The Sex Pistols, Black Flags, Circle Jerks. It was music that I, I didn't even, I couldn't, the songs were short, they were fast, they were to the point. And for a kid that only had heard his parents' music, I went from listening to The Beach Boys and Jerry Vale and Dean Martin straight in into Black Flag, the Circle Jerks, and the Ramones, and just everything else I could get my hands on. And that music was really the thing that that skateboarding led me to getting into punk rock, and then punk rock was what I was, you know, what that that put me on the path that I'd follow for the next 30 years. Right, it's weird, and also with the punk rock then, it's like, even the radio didn't play. There wasn't like, back no. east, there wasn't 98.7, there wasn't like, they no. didn't play alternative, you know. We had Dennis Erectus. I don't know, see, I was, I was back east. Yeah, Dennis I, Erectus was a guy that would like, go on at like, 1 a.m. and play like some, you'd be crazy. He'd play the tubes or, okay. you know, not even that. You'd be like, wow, I'm going to play, you know, you play like, uh, what was that? Boomtown Rats. And you're okay. like, whoa, man, this guy's crazy. So, okay. So I know you were talking about um, punk rock. Now you joined a band called Wax. Yes, I did. Now, where, how did you get involved? When you were skateboarding, yeah. First of all, when you were skateboarding and you're getting out of the woods, you probably never, you probably never thought your life would take this weird turn where you, never. you've been on radio, you have a one man show, you do comedy, you do that. You probably never occurred to you. How did you end up with this? Was it the first band you were ever in? No, I mean for me, like, you know, like comedy and you know the record company, like uh, all that. I mean, I mean, I, I sometimes, man, I know like people that are listening right now are like. 
how old is this guy that Steve's interviewing? Like, you know, I, I sometimes I feel like, you know, my life's it, it's it seriously feels like a dream because I've been, I've been able to be a part of so many great experiences and things that as a kid that I would read about, you know, like I said, like I I you know, I'd read about this the skateboarding that was going on and then all of a sudden I found myself kind of in the right place at the right time in the 80s where skateboarding just blew up and I got to meet the guys I was reading about Mike McGill Steve Caballero Christian Osoy all of these guys now, did you ever go pro skateboarding no never went I never turned pro um because uh a I wasn't good enough b um you know I really I, I just got into music and to answer your question the, the first band I mean the first band I was ever in was this band uh you know you get in your first band where I just a guy left a bass guitar at my house and and he said hey I remember he came over to my house and he knocks on the door and I'm like, Hey, what's up? And he's like, let me come in. And I'm like, okay. And he has a bass with him. I'm like, what's with the bass? He's like, dude, my brother, you know, owes me money. And I took his bass guitar and let me keep it here. Cause he's going to kill me if he knows. It. And I'm like, okay. So all of a sudden I have his bass underneath my, underneath my bed. And at night I'd pull it out and I'd kind of like, I took a quarter cause I didn't have a pick and I'd like try to like play around with it. And I was like, well, this is cool. And then I remember a month went by, two months went by and I kept playing it and friends would show me like, Hey man, you should do this. Here's a pick. Here's a song, you know, learn this. Boom. I'm like, okay. And then that kid one day I ran into school and I said, Hey man, I still got your brother's bass. What's up with that? And he goes, Oh, you're not going to have to worry about him. My brother just got busted for selling acid. He's gone to jail. <laughs> I'm like, really? And like, you know, when you're a kid, you don't ask like, well, how long? You're like, oh, okay, cool, man. Thanks. Right. Like, you never even yeah, think, you don't about think it. Like, yeah, yeah, whatever, you know? Yeah. So, so that's like that, that. Basically, I started out as a bass player in a band. And then I was just, you know, I was always a kid writing songs and um, I was always writing the lyrics. And I just, um, I really dove head first into the community and the punk rock scene of uh, Northern California and San Jose. And we had a lot of people that were just in bands and yeah, doing What were things. some of the bands? Because I, I, what were some of the bands up oh, there? Oh, I mean, for, for the thing. The thing that was great was in my little town that I grew up in, San Jose. I mean, not little, but, you know, San Jose. We had uh, a band called Los Avedados. We had Ribsy. The big band that we had was this band called The Faction. And The Faction uh, was founded by Steve Cavalera, the pro skateboarder. So they were the first band that actually I ever knew that put a record out. They were the first band that actually practiced on a regular basis. They were the first band that went to Los Angeles and played shows. They were the first band that went on tour. I remember I would go over to their house, and they had a map. And um, th th where they practiced was at uh, the guitar player's house, a guy named Adam Baum Siegel. And he was the guy that ran the label and he was the guy that booked the shows and, and you know pulled it all together. And I remember going to his house and he had a map on the wall and they'd practice in that same room. And every day they'd put up another, th uh, another thumbtack, another red thumbtack, another red pin, another this. And it was all in the cities that they were going to play at okay. over the summer. And I remember as a kid, I was probably 16 then. I knew right then. I'm like, man. I mean, so wait a minute. Let me get this straight. You guys are gonna gonna pack up everything that you have in this, you know, rehearse this this your family room den that your parents are letting you practice in. You're gonna put that all in a van, and then you guys are gonna go out on the road, like drive away from San Jose, like go f like 101 right. and keep going. And then you're going to play places. And you're going to do that for 30 days in a different city, skate ramps every day during the day, uh, play a punk rock show at night, crash out at someone's house, meet girls, drink beer. I'm like, I got to do that. Like, how, I, how can I do that too? That's what I want to do. And that really, like, that was my eye-opening moment that I was like, I want to go on the road. I want to be in a band. So then I just kept kind of jamming with different people. And then um, then I finally got asked to sing for a band. And then that kind of opened the door. But Wax started was when I moved to Los Angeles. I moved to Los okay, Angeles in no, 90. Okay. So, but you were, so you were already you're on the road back in the... 
but yeah. different bands. I was, you know, I was, the, I was, I mean, when I turned 17, I got the chance to go out uh, with Circle Jerks and Seven Seconds on our first tour. And, you know, when I say tour, Steve, it was like more than five days. You know, it was like, it was like we went to Portland, Seattle, and we kept going. You it's know? funny you say that. It's funny because I always see on Facebook because I, when I did, I did comedy from 88 to 95 on the road, and sometimes you'd be on the road for like 13 days. And I always crack up now, like you'll see someone on Facebook go, Yeah, I'm going on the road. It's like, you know, you're driving down to San Diego to do a guest <laughs> set. That's not the road. You know, yeah. on the road is when you're sitting there going driving four hours each day to another gig. Yeah, the road, road, road means that you're going away for so long that uh, you're putting your stuff in storage because right. there's no need to have an apartment. So you're you're going out with Circle Jerks and all this stuff. Yeah. And um, now was your band getting a following then? Or? Yeah, I mean, you know, it, it's funny because comedy and, and music, I feel, have so many parallels. Um, and, and, and especially in the early days of, you know, going out on the road and the punk rock scene, the punk rock community, it really lended itself to different people putting shows together, different promoters in different cities. Uh, you'd find out a, you know, you'd find out a kid that had access to a hall that he rented, or or another kid that would uh, do backyard shows, or a bigger band that was going through bigger venues, and you could reach out directly to these guys and be like, hey, you know, can we hop on that show with you guys? And if you were decent, and you know, y you didn't take too much of the cash from the door like hey we'll give you a hundred bucks to do it you'd be a part of these shows and 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 i really think that uh you know i noticed that you know just kind of stepping into comedy for a second is that right now with comedy i see so many of these these great shows that are that are taking place whether it's at you know a, a taco stand on vermont or hillhurst to you know a backyard show that you see people throwing in their backyards to you know house parties where comedians are getting up and like real comedians not just like you know like okay cool it's an open mic like comedians that have records out and comedy central specials they're like yeah i want to get on that show and then the bigger shows that maybe you're going on at the improv and laugh factory and stuff like that and i i just feel that like there is there's this, there's like a like a, it's like a crossroads right now of like rock and roll and comedy no different than you know in in when george carlin was doing it or no different than like sam kennison and like guns and roses and stuff like you know musicians love comedians so i i see a lot of similarities with like when i you know when i, when I was in a punk rock band with what's going on in comedy right now let's go so now when did you move to la i moved to la in uh 90 and what was the reason um, because my band kicked me out in San Jose, they just, I, I went down to the, I, I literally I, like whenever I do something, like I take it to the extreme, like everything to me, like when, especially when I was growing up, not so much now, it was all like, like everything to me was like, like life or death, like sink or swim. So like, if you're in a band with me, like, especially when I was a kid, Steve, it was like, we practiced, you know, we practiced every Sunday, we practiced every Thursday and we had a gig on Saturday. And if we had, didn't have a gig on Saturday, we practiced. It was like. Everything to me was about the band. I had to, I had to make sure that you know, like I made the T-shirts, I managed the band, I helped write the songs, you know, I booked the shows. So like I was so about the band. And what ends up happening, like when you, when you're that that controlling, that like the rest of the people in the band are like, you know what, man, forget this guy. This is too much, you know. And at a certain point, my band had had enough of me, and I literally, I remember, I went. Uh, they, I think they were trying to tell me that. They didn't want to be in the band with me anymore. And, of course, I turned it around and blamed it on them and said, you know what, man, the reason the band's not happening is because of you. And I went down to the studio uh, to get uh, to get something out of the studio, at this little practice room we had. And I remember I went in there, and all the gear was gone. Wow. Everything except my microphone. And I remember going, oh, my God, someone ripped us off. And I called the guitar player. I go, we've been robbed. And he's like, no, man, we just don't want to play with you anymore. And we couldn't get it through wow. your head. God. So, you know what? I finally left. I was like, you know what? There's nothing going on for me here in San Jose, and I headed towards L.A.
And so then when you got down here, and uh, then did did you know people down here? I had, you know, I had friends down here. I was really bad with LA in the sense of like, I had a friend that lived in Huntington Beach, and I was like, yeah, man, I live in LA now. Like, let's hang out. He's like, dude, that's like a two-hour drive. You know, I was like, oh, okay. Or, you know, I had friends that lived in Venice. It's I so just funny. thought it was all close. It's so funny because <laughs> I just, I actually, I live in Burbank, but uh, I went I went to this 80s concert at uh Honda this weekend. The oh, the one with uh, with Blondie. And, yeah, yeah. How was that? It was really good. How uh, was Blondie? Um, well, we only watched a few songs. And okay, because they were the last act. Okay, it was. It was started at four forty five. Who are you excited to see? Berlin. Yeah. How was that? She's awesome. Wow. She's actually going to be on the show. We're setting up a date. She's because uh, she knows Wendy Liebman, who's Cooper Talk regular. She her voice is still kicks ass. Wow. Springfield killed it. That killed dude. It. That dude. I was. <laughs> He takes his shirt off. Now he's sixty four. Yeah, he's built like a twenty year old. Like I'm like, what the the fix? Eh. They 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 did play. The X play? No, no X. Didn't uh, play. Adam Ant played. Yeah, how was he? He was all right. Yeah, he, he's he's aging like Val Kilmer. Yeah. <laughs> oh really? <laughs> yeah. yeah. And uh, and Psychedelic for his is good. It was a fun show though. But we my my buddy I went with my buddy and the same thing. You know when you, when I moved up here I would have thought okay Burbank and Newport Beach is just a hop skip and a jump. No, it's like fifty five sixty miles to Newport Beach. Yeah. And because I stayed over there, but it's just you're right. When you get that, whenever way, I do, a you sh- don't know. Whenever I do a show in Irvine. You know, I love going down to do the Irvine Improv. That's like one of my favorite places to play because I feel like uh, it's like going on the road right. without leaving L.A. Like, because you know, when you do a show in Hollywood, man, at the Laugh Factory, that's a different crowd than the crowd that's at the you know Irvine Improv. I feel like you know, it, it's 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 you're gonna you're gonna find out what's gonna fly and what's not, you know, and because it, it's you know they're there to eat nachos and have their two drinks and they're on date night, so right. you know it's the real deal. Um, I, but whenever I go down to Irvine Improv, it's like, it's literally like, gotta leave. Like, I have a show, you know, I'll do a show there at eight. I'll leave LA, I swear, three o'clock? Oh, yeah. I no, just, three o'clock. It's so funny. I noticed coming back on Sunday, I had no, I hit no traffic. I made it back from Newport to Burbank in, like, honestly, 50 minutes because there was no traffic. Yeah. But going down, it's like, you go, it's a Saturday at 10.30. Why is there traffic? It's 10.30 in the morning. Yeah. So when you moved to L.A. I moved to L.A. And now, how? because now, what was your, was Wax your first band here? Yeah, you know, I mean, when I when I first moved to L.A., man, I mean, I, it was, it's a trip to think about it because, you know, I'm a father now and like my daughter's 12. So I moved here when I was 24, 23. And I literally came here with, like, no game plan at all. I mean, all I came to L.A. with was a burgundy Ford Escort with a a passenger window blown out, um, a leather jacket, a ghetto blaster, and a skateboard. That's I mean, and, you know, some miscellaneous clothes. Like, I had a friend, amazing guy, Brian Ray, uh, and he, at that point, was working at Slash Records, home to X, L7, um, who else was on there? You know, just great bands. They'd been around forever. And he worked there. So I was like, okay, I know him. But he, like, I went and he said, hey, man, there's nothing going on with you in Northern California anymore. Like, why are you up there? And I was like, I don't know. And he's like, look, come to LA and I'll make you a deal. And I'm like, okay, what's the deal? He's like, look, you can live with me, can stay at my pad. You got to remember the pad I'm staying at in San Jose at this point. It was this big house called 13th Street House on Santa Clara up there. It still exists. Um, there, it was this old Victorian house and 20 guys lived in it. 
Like it wow. was one of those houses where there was like padlocks on your bed. Like you know, you you lock. You know, it wasn't like when you left your room, you left your world. You had a padlock on it. Like the bathroom, you had to bring your own TP in there with you. Like it was, you know, it was, it was as close to a squat as you can get without okay. being a squat. So you know, I'm like, I think everyone lives like that, right? So I come down here, and my buddy Brian Ray goes, "Hey man, you can live with me." I'm like, "All right, so let me check it out." So I go to his house. I remember, I'll never forget this, Steve. I pull up. I left San Jose on like a, you know. A Friday night or whatever, early Friday or whatever, and I get down here and I show up at Brian Ray's house, and it's Saturday, and he's like, "Here you go, man," and he has an apartment, man, like a legit apartment. Okay, one roommate. <laughs> he has a girlfriend that at this point is a she's a woman. She's thirty years old. I was like, I'm, I'm like, wow, man, like that's your girlfriend, and like just great looking and he's like yeah it's my girlfriend this is my one roommate he had furniture that matched he had real dishes forks and knives he had a refrigerator steve filled with food not like not like you know just like <laughs> not like condiments to, yeah dude he had like real food and, and and he had a real life and a real car yeah i remember he had a car and i remember i walked down and he has a motorcycle and he has this and he has that and he collected rad furniture and i just right then i knew because we were the same age i was like Damn, like this guy when he he's grown up, man. I'm still I'm in t-shirts and, and a shorts and a pair of van tennis shoes. I'm like, man, like and I remember that night he has a party. He's like, Yeah, we're having a little get together at the party. The guys from Fishbone are there. One of the guys from Jane's Addiction is there. I'm wow. just like, I am so out of my realm right now. And I remember his whole thing was he's like, Joe, here's the deal. You can live here for one month, but if you don't get it together in one month, you're out of here. And, and I was like, really? And he's like, yeah, because here's the deal. If you can't get it together in one month, you'll never get it together. And he was like, I, w you know, I wish you the best of luck. And I was like, okay. And you know, you know, sure enough, you know, it was like, I hit the ground running and then you, know, you have to find the job and then find the roommate. And you know, and I remember when I left his apartment and moved into my first pad on Sunset Boulevard, I remember it was me and one guy and he had just gone through a divorce. He was so bummed. He's like, you know, I'm like, Hey man, let's, let's move in together. And he's like, you know, I met him at work at this prop house I was working at in a I remember he's getting divorced and I didn't know what that meant. You know, like he's like, we're sitting there one night on this couch that we got. And he's like, you don't understand. I had a house in the Valley. I had, a, I have kids and now I'm living with you. Like this isn't cool. This isn't rad. Right. And I was like, what's wrong, man? This place is awesome. You know, so <laughs> it's full circle for him, but I was excited because we had our own place. And so, so then did you, when did you start getting more into the music again? I mean, I was like, when I first came here, I I tried to go for like I'm gonna get a real job and I'm gonna do this. I you know I I had I had an interview. I remember there was this great composer, and uh, his name was Mike Post, and he had written at that point you know like Hill Street Blues. Like if you turn on like oh, Mike Post, yeah Mike Post, Mario Demarkey Post. Yeah he wrote yeah he wrote all of the songs, produced all those you know in the 80s and 90s, um, produced all of these great songs, and. Um, I was thought I was going to get a real job like, okay. And in the back of my mind, I, you know, I came down here, I had a college degree, but you know, I wanted to rock. I was like, I want to be in a band, but I kind of, I was like, you know what? I gotta, I gotta like, maybe I'll reinvent myself. And one of the reinventing ideas that I had was I was going to get a job at a legit place. And I remember I got introduced uh, to someone that knew Mike Post. He needed an assistant. So I went over and I met to be his personal assistant, which Anyone that's listening to this right now, personal assistant means you're just that person's bitch. You know, you're just like, go and get this, do that, pick my kids up from school. When you're done with that, I need my cleaning. Hey, by the way, stop by the store. Hey, I need some cereal. I like cereal in the morning. Like that's what you're doing. And and I went in, I interviewed for the job, 
And I remember uh, I sat down with him, and we were at the, you know, he was he was mixing something. He was really cool guy too, just super cool. And uh, I think he could see right through me. And he goes, uh, he says, "Tell me about yourself." And I told him, I just came down here. I'm living here. I'm staying there. I'm doing this. Uh, my friend has a really cool apartment. Um, and he says, uh, he says, so what do you want to do? And I go, oh, I, I, you know, I want to get into film and TV. And I, you know, what you're doing is really what I'm all about. And, and he says, okay, he goes, okay. So, but what do you really want to do? And I'm like, oh man, I, you know, I just keep toting the line. Like I'm going to be the assistant. And uh, I remember he finally sits down and he goes, hey man, off the record. And he, you know, sits down. He goes, look, tell me what you really want to do, man. He goes, look, because uh, you know, if I. You know, I'll talk to you about working this job, but I want to know what you want to do. And it was the craziest thing because he sat down and, and he just really wanted to know what I want to do. And I, I just came clean. I'm like, you know, I was in a band and the band just ended and I'm down here and I really, he goes, oh, so you're a singer? And I go, yeah. He goes, oh man, that's cool. We start talking about music, talking about records, talking about, you know, the studios he'd work in. Just really like the conversation just right. all of a sudden got real. He was cool. And he goes, look, man, I'm going to be, I'm going to be totally honest with you. And, and, and this is it. You don't want to be my personal assistant. And I said, why not? And he goes, because you know what? And he just listed off all of the work I'm going to have to do. And it's, he goes, it's not going to be fun. And you know what? You're going to have to pick my kids up. You're going to have to deal with my kids. And you know what? My kids aren't cool. Like, you don't want to deal with them. You know, I was like, really? And he's like, yeah. So here's the deal, man. I'm not going to hire you. But what I am going to tell you, go and do what you want to do. You've moved to LA. You're not in Northern California anymore. You're here. You already took the step. You're living in Los Angeles. Everything that you're saying you want to do, you could do. You can do what you want to do. Being in a band, going on tour, all the stuff that you're saying that you want to do make it happen right and i remember i walked out of there and that was the last interview i ever did and that was the last you know i think uh that was the last step in the direction of something that i really didn't want to do or believe in and i never looked back and i've never i've never had a you know i've been fortunate enough that i've either been in a band or you know been the guy at side one dummy yeah, for I the was, last 19 years i was looking at it and i know because I, I i just i Looked up the wax, and I guess Spike Jones had directed some of your yep. videos. Two now, of our videos. Now, was that was he in the beginning of his career then, or how? Totally. Did, so, but did the, you? Was, is he, isn't he into the skate culture yeah, too? Yeah, totally. So when you came down here, were you skating again? Though ba ba I was always skateboard. I mean, to this day, I skateboard. I skateboard every week. You know, like I, I still skate. Uh, it, skateboarding to me is like surfing. You know, like I have to surf or skate. Like I, I wish. You know, when we lived in Hollywood, I could surf more. And then when we had the kids, we moved. You know, further. Um, you know, outside of Hollywood. So to hit the beach, you know, I just can't. But what I can do is there's a skateboard park like right by my house. So I'll just, you know, go do a few kick turns, a couple cars. And that, and that just, I don't know, it like balances me. It centers me. I, I just, I love skateboarding. So I've always skateboarded. So when I, even when I came to LA, like, you know, I had a skateboard in my car. When I, when I met Spike, Spike was just a photographer that was taking pictures. And I think he had maybe directed a few skate videos. But the first video he ever directed for a band was our video for hush and he directed that in chicago and then um he basically went from there to doing everything with like you know uh sonic youth breeders and his career just exploded and then right in the middle of like all of that um we ended up doing our uh, california video with him where that's the video that you know where he lights the guy on fire and it's it's you know it's a 40 second video that he stretched out to two minutes. Well, you're serious, cause I read about that and it said, I guess it couldn't get MTV daytime play because yeah. the guy was on fire. Yeah, they used to have to do a, um, it was the first video ever on MTV that they had a show, uh, Don't Try This at Home. Wow. And Beavis and Butthead loved it. So that was cool. But uh, yeah, Spike, he definitely, you know, when he was a skater, you know, he, he's a part of Girl Skate Park, skate, uh, Girl Skateboards. Uh, 
legendary skateboard company. He's, you know, he's, he's part of the culture. So you, you, so that, that video and your band is becoming pretty much, they're becoming a big band. That was, you know, that was, I would say as a musician, when I was in wax, you know, the band that I founded when I moved to LA, founded it with three guys from Chicago. We got signed to, you know, the major label. We went on tour. We, we did that. And I was in wax for, you know, six, seven years. We made, you know, the huge video with, with Spike Jones. Um, we had a really, really good run. And then, you know, that of course, like everything else in your life, you know, change happens. That band fell apart and that really led to me at that point going, okay, now, you know, what's next? I still want to play music. I started a new band, 22 Jacks, but, uh, you know, I'm not 23. I'm suddenly, you know, 30 and wow, what should I do now? And that was when I, I was right around the time I was like 27 is when I started Sidewind Dummy Records. Now, how did you come up with the idea to, to start a record company? I mean, cause I know back then I know what I've read about some of the, the punk culture in that country. Yeah. A lot of it was cassettes. People used to make cassettes of the band, and you know, it's like the, there's a book I read about the punk, you know, the punk, and they said the cassettes were big and stuff like that. Well, the cassettes were like the cassettes were the playlist that everyone would pass around to each other. Um, you would, you would, you'd find, you know, someone would bring a cassette, say, with them from New Jersey, right? And it would be some kid that was visiting his grandparents on the West Coast, and then you met this kid, and immediately you became friends because he was into punk rock and you were into punk rock, and the only way you knew that he was in punk rock was because, hey, man, he has a Dead Kennedys button. Like a little, just a little clue that you're like, this kid knows what's up. So you start talking to him and before you know it, he says, hey man, check it out. And he has a cassette and he's at your house and you're hanging out and he's playing the cassette. Now this cassette has, you know, 60 minutes of material, but literally has 40 bands on it. And no one, there's no, there's no cassette holder that tells you what band you're listening right. to. So you would hear a song and you'd be like, wow, man, like that song, 1-2-X-U, what's that all about? And you'd hear it and every time it's on the cassette and then you'd slowly find out from another kid that knew an older kid that had a kid that had a magazine that 12XU was a cover from Wire, but it was being done by Washington, D.C.'s Minor Threat. Okay. And then you're like, wow, but that kid that, that you heard that cassette with, he's long gone at this point. So there was these cassettes, and what ended up happening, it was it was the listening station or the 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 snapshot of, a, of what was going on in the town or the towns that surrounded that kid's life. So like these cassettes just floated all around. And like even as a kid... You know, when I, you know, growing up in Northern California, um, we had the cassettes that we made and we would put our bands that we love, The Faction, Los Abidados, Social Distortion, TSOL, and you would just listen to these, you, you, you know, maybe you'd send them to a friend like, hey dude, check out this cassette. It would just go back and forth. And that was really how everyone kind of found out about the bands. And, and then, um, I, I think, you know, when, when I, when we started talking about starting Side One Dummy Records, we just, you know, my partner and I only started the label because we just wanted to put out seven inches by our friends' bands. We, okay. We never, like, you know, when Bill and I, and I've been partners with the same guy for, you know, 19, we're starting our, we're in our 19th year. Um, we're starting it right now. Yeah. Cause we, it was June that we started. So like when we started side one dummy, we were, you know, that's 19 years ago. We were just trying to avoid getting real jobs. Cause you know, this is pre wives and kids, you know, right. we, were, we were just like, we were roommates and we were like, all right, dude, if we sell enough seven inches, we can get beers and, and bagels and hummus for, you know, for the day. Okay, cool. Like that, that was, that was the goal. And then all of a sudden, you know, it, it turned into, Hey man, like let's work with this band. And then that band actually did well. And then let's do this compilation and then let's work with the warp tour. And then all of a sudden a friend of mine, you know, is calling me saying, Hey, can you come see my band play? And he was a skater. 
a legendary skater out of San Diego, Matt Hensley. I met him in Chicago when I was in wax touring. We'd always, you know, drink beers together and, you know, make uh, cassettes to put in the van and listen to different music. And, and he tells me, Hey man, come and see my band. And I'm like, okay, what's the name of your band? And he says, flogging Molly. And I'm like, okay, I miss him. I try to see him. I finally see him one night, uh, in Hollywood flogging Molly. They played in no one and they literally like just, you know, anyone that's listening knows Floggy Molly is just devastating live. They were one of the best live bands out there. And I, that night I went home and I called my partner. I'm like, dude, we got to go see this band Floggy Molly, man. You know that band, my friends? And he's like, yeah. I'm like, we got to work with these guys. And everyone had passed on him. Every label had passed on Floggy Molly. Like every major label, every independent label, no one could get it. They were like, what are we going to do with the Irish guy playing acoustic guitar that's 50 years old? What are we going to, an accordion player, a banjo player? You know, everyone was like, oh, they're trying to knock off the Pogues. But you were like, no, you know what? The singer's not drunk. Like, no offense to, you know, Pogues fans out there, but you know, Shane would get pretty wrecked, you know? So it was like, wow. So like all of a sudden, um, we went and we saw Flogging Molly, and and that was the band that turned the key for Side One Dummy. So, what do you do when you when you're going to sign a band? You're a smaller label. Yep. And so, do you say, okay, here's what we're going to do? You do you get you have to absorb all the production costs. I give them millions of dollars. No. Uh, do you do you have to sit there and go and say, here's the deal? We're going to do we're going to produce the record and sell it, but we're going to pay you this amount. Or how does that work? It's no different than any other record deal, except that we're able to cut any deal that we want. You know, like like it's no like. Um, Different deals for different bands. Uh, you, you, it's real simple. You say, hey, um, you need a label to facilitate all of the things that you can't as a band. Because everyone says, and there's this myth going on, like, oh, we don't need a label. We don't need anybody to do it. We don't need this. We don't need that. And you know, Trent Reznor said that. He signed back to a label. Pearl Jam said, oh, we're going to do it on our own. They tried uh, you know, here and there, and then they signed back to a label. Um, everybody needs people that surround them to facilitate the vision and all of the hard work that goes into, um, and anyone, and anyone that's ever tried to start a label knows what I'm talking about. Cause it's not, it, you know, it's, it's great when it connects, but there's a lot of work that goes into it. And, and when you're trying to turn people onto music, I mean, that's such a personal thing. Like right. who the hell are you to tell me that this band is so special that I should buy their music digitally, you know, CD vinyl. Like that's, that's such a personal thing. Um, and, what we do with the bands is, you know, will we take a band and if they're interested in going to, I hate to use the term the next level, but they're like, yeah, you know, we're really big in our hometown. We've gone on tour a few times. We've made it to Europe, but every, you know, it's always the classic thing. We've been to Europe, but every time we go there, our records aren't available or, or you know, we want to get our record out in Europe or we want to go on tour with bigger bands. We want to, we want to see if, if we could be on the radio. We want to see if we can be on Sirius X, you know, all those type of things. Those are the type of uh, opportunities that we create for the band. I always say that like the bands themselves, like, you know, flogging Molly is flogging Molly and they're, they're amazing. And and then the label comes in second. You have to be an amazing band first. And then what we try to do at side one is create opportunities for the band. So that gets them further along in their career. Okay. And I feel like we're really good at it. So now, now was it a weird for you to transition, be the transition from being in a band to doing the record label? You know what, man, it, it, it when I, since I was a little teeny kid, since I was a little teeny kid, like, like, like my intro to show business when I was 10 years old was I put on a, um, this one, we lived in the mountains. I put on a, a talent show 
and I found the, you know, I was like, I want to do a talent show. And I lived out in the middle, you know, the woods, and there wasn't a lot of kids that, that were that talented, you know, like riding horses or like, you know, riding motorcycles. That was the talent that was out there. So right. I, I'm like, I want to do a talent show, you know, and I literally, you know, at, at 10 years old, found the barn that we did the talent show in, um, brought lights in, brought music in, promoted the show hooked up all the judges that were going to judge all the kids that were going to be on the show, but there were no kids to be on the show that I knew. So I had to go out in the woods and like different farms and ranches and meet kids. Hey, hi, I'm Joe. You know, I'm doing a talent show in a month. Would you like to be a part of it? What would I do? You could do this. You know, Hey, what did you do? I, you could do that. Like I had to literally then teach the kids what they were going to do at the talent show. And then, and then we had the talent show and, and then I won the talent show. So, that, so like I did all, I did all the things in it. So since I was a little kid, I was always, I was always being like, you know, it was, I was always treading that fine line of like promoter to artist to, um, producer, you know, that's just, I've always been that guy. Like when I was in my band, I was just the guy that was sober enough to go get paid. I was the guy that was, you know, knew how to get on the phone and, and ask the guy at the on Broadway, if our band could open for the circle jerks. And okay. you know, that I was just that kid, you know? So, so how do you go from being in music and into running a record label how do you get into comedy? What, 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 at what point did do you ever, when you were doing music and running, did you ever think that you would do stand up at one time? I always wanted to. Okay. Always. I mean, I loved stand up comedy since I was a kid, you know, to me, stand up comics to me were rock stars. Like, you know, I know that it, this definitely is like our age demo or like, you know, it expresses how old I am, but it's like, you know, Robin Williams, uh, you know, Richard Pryor, uh, you know, just, Bill Cosby, uh, Flip Wilson, um, you know, all of, all of those great comedians, um, you know, of course, uh, listening to those comedians. And even at that point they would say things, you know, George Carlin, you know, he would like, when I saw George Carlin, I always say the same thing. Like my dad turned me on to George Carlin live at Santa Monica civic and he's on the cover. Google this right now. If you're listening, he's on the cover. And if you look at the cover, you're like, this guy looks like he's in a band. He has no shirt on with a jean jacket on. And and then he has like jeans on and boots and he has holes in his jeans. I mean, with the exception of his long hair, you could, you know, a few years later, you could be like, this guy could have been in the Ramones, you know, it's right. like, it just had that, like, that's cool. Like, whoa, man, like this guy's going for it. And, um, just as a kid, I loved comedy, but, um, you know, being in a band, I was like the front man and, you know, you know, obviously you learn. You know, being in a punk band, you learn really quick that, you know, guitar breaks, bass string has to get replaced, snare, you know, is gone. Okay, we have time to kill. Punk rock crowd isn't very patient. And you learn really quick, like, all right, either we got to start playing some sort of music to keep that, you know, it's almost like we gotta, before the natives get restless and start attacking, you know, like we got to do something. And as a kid, I would always kind of you know, do crowd work, I guess, you know, I didn't know I was doing crowd right. work, but I would, I would talk to the crowd. I would talk about the headliner. I would talk about, you know, uh, what, you know, what band was on the bill before us. I'd, uh, you know, maybe find some punker in the audience that I knew couldn't get up and fight me and maybe rib him a little bit. Uh, you know, maybe make, you know, make some cracks about the city that we were in. Okay. Guitar's ready to go. Boom. Into the next song. So I kind of learned that as a kid, but, um, I always wanted to do stand up. And um, it was one of those kind of things that, you know, even when I moved to Los Angeles, I remember when I first moved to LA, the first like month that I was here, I went and did a potluck at uh, the comedy store. Okay. And I remember I waited, you know, and you sign your name 
and I don't know how it happened, but I actually got up that night. I just kind of, you know, the guy's like, hey man, okay, you know, you can go up. And I remember I got up there and the thing I always for, remember is that Andrew Dice Clay got up that night too. And I was like, no way, like Andrew Dice Clay's getting on stage. And it, it, you know, what you learn later on is, is a comic is comics just want to get on stage because there's no way to get good. Like a musician, you can sit in your bedroom and you, and you practice Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, and you will be better on guitar in, you know, with the band on Saturday night, you, you know, a band can just practice in amongst themselves and Saturday night they'll sound better. Right. You, you could go and see a band on a, on a Saturday and be like, Oh, you guys got to tighten it up. They practice all week. You see them a week later. You're like, you guys were good. There's no one in the band rehearsal with them, except they know where the songs go. Comedy is so different. That's why you, you have to get up. You have to try the bit. It has to bomb. You have to go, okay, cool. That whole five minute thing I had really there's only one line that's funny and you have to learn that in front of people and it's uncomfortable but then you walk away that night and in your car you go okay I got the one line that works right. and you go back to the drawing board and you're like okay what's the next line that, that okay you listen to the cassette and you're, or the, listen to your phone and you're like when I said that that wasn't supposed to be funny wow okay that, you know and I love that's the thing I love about doing stand up is that you know when you're in a band it's it's you know at least every band I was in, everyone has an equal say. Everyone shares in all the glory. Everyone, you know, four guys. It's a unit. It's a team. The thing I love about doing stand-up is you write something that night you, or that afternoon. You think it's funny. And then that night, you try it through a microphone in front of people. And if it hits, it's all on you. And if it doesn't hit, it's all on you. Right. And I, I, I love that. And it really, you know, I mean, I have no, you know, I'm 46-year-old man. I have no... I have no false dream that the world needs a 46 year old comedian that looks like Tony Danza, the Fonz to like break, you know what I'm saying? But what I love about doing stand up is it exercises the muscle. That's the same muscle I had when I was 15 through the, the till musician muscle. It's the writing muscle. It's the creative muscle. And if I'm going to sit behind a desk and work with, you know, bands and young people, you know, uh, that are in their 20s and they're just starting their dream of going out there and pursuing it, for me to be able to still feel that I'm in contact and can talk to them, their language and being it, I need to go on stage once or twice a week and and use that muscle for 10 minutes. And if I get laughs and people are excited about it, I go home and I'm a better person. Like my wife says to me, only two times that I can tell you're in, like, she's like, you go surfing and you come home, you're in the best mood, you know? And when you go and do your comedy and tell your jokes, the next morning, you're just, you're just a different guy. And it, she goes, I see it with you. It lasts about three or four days. And then I can see you getting all like, okay, he's got to do his thing again. And it's just a weird, it's, I've been that way my whole life. Now, the one man show. Say again? The one man show, one California Kling. Now, how did, how did that come about? Because I know you're doing it. You're doing it uh, October fourth. October fourth. That the the one man show, California Calling. Uh, that all came before stand up. That was what led me to stand up. I, uh, you know, I do radio like yourself. Um, I've been doing radio for gosh, I'm coming up on ten years. I started on Indie 1031 in Los Angeles, and it was a really crazy time in radio because the staff that I was a part of was Steve Jones from the Sex Pistols, Henry Rollins from Black Flag, Dave Navarro from Jane's Addiction. And then Dickie Barrett of the Mighty Mighty Boss Tones, and then me. So it was like it was the full like, what's wrong with this picture? You know, me. It was like it was amazing, great lineup. Um, I did radio with them uh, for four years with a show called Complete Control Radio. That's uh, two hours of old school and new school punk rock, and basically um, 
I did that. That led when that station went away. I went to 98.7. I've been at 98.7 for the last like five, six years. Now I got a question about 98.7. Yes. It used to be called Star, right? It was Star, and then it was 98.7 Alternative or uh, Alt Night. Or it now was, it's Alt. Right? It's Alt. Yeah, they switched it to when Alt. When did that happen? That happened like three, four weeks ago. They switched it. Oh, that's like a new like, program director came in. This guy named Mike Kaplan from Seattle. Okay, I was and listening. He just tightened it and all. I went, up. I went. Wait a second. Wasn't it just called Star? And now yeah. it's all, it throws you yeah. off because it's, yeah. it's still the same thing. Still the same thing. Um, you know, with Star, I think it was more pop oriented. This is definitely more, you know, alternative. And so now, what does your show entail? Uh, my show is Complete Control Radio, and I, like I said, I've been I'm coming up on ten years, and my show's on uh, every Sunday night, ten to midnight. It's on in uh, Portland on KNRK. It's on in Austin on 101X. It's on in Denver on Channel 93.3, and here in Los Angeles on uh, 98.7 every Sunday night. Same thing. Same Old- thing. It's two hours. Um, and a lot of music. We play like 30 songs in two hours, which is crazy. Everything from like an old track from The Clash to uh, something brand new from like a band like The Menzingers and, or, you know, uh, a band like Title Fight. We, we mix it up. Uh, that led, when I was doing that, sh- doing the radio show, I tell a lot of stories on there. You know, uh, tell about touring. You know, one of the first tours I ever got to go on was with Social Distortion. I talk, you know, I tell a story about that. A lot of callers would be like, "Man, I love your stories." A lot of the bands that would come in, we'd be hanging out, and uh, it kind of led to this band one night saying, "You know, man, we got this road trip that's coming up. I wish, I wish you could come with us." And I was like, "Why?" And they're like, "Because your stories are so funny. You know, we won't fall asleep if you're in the van." Right. And the girl suggested you should go in the studio and tell a bunch of stories. So. I made this CD um, called True Stories and Bad Ideas. Five stories, like uh, the last time I ever smoked weed, uh, the first time I, the first and only time I picked a fight when I was camping when I was a little kid, uh, a story about meeting Joe Strummer from The Clash on my 23rd birthday and hanging out with him and drinking, and um, just, you know, stories like that. And, uh, you know, when I finished it, I just gave it to my friends for free. You know, like, hey, man, just, you know, give this to your friends, give it to people. And he, uh, people were like, this is really funny. You know, you should do this live. And then that kind of was where the idea for California Calling came together because uh, California Calling is a show that I wrote that was all about one day that put me on the path that like everything that I've just talked about for the last 40 minutes where your listeners are like, dude, does this guy ever shut up? Like, like it makes it easy for me. I, I, did, pre, I did pre-record episodes yesterday because it went out of town. I'm like, all right, good. Like my pipes can, you know, when I, when I get home to pack you know, for the week, you know I won't it, be exhausted. Steve, it was your, it was your fault. You gave me this cough. This is octane, man. It's, I know. I, that's what I do to my guests. There you go. But no, uh, the, so the, the whole show that is, is it's, um, it's all about one day in my life, December 27th, 1981. And everything I've just talked about for the 40 minutes, none of that would have existed without this day in my life. And it put me on the path for the next 30 years, changed my life, life-changing day. I have a photograph from the day, uh, that particular day in the show. And the show is um, basically 60 minutes long with over 65 photographs, about 15 music cues. And it's, it's a show from start to finish that's fun, um, and I started doing it here in Los Angeles. It led to doing it at the Largo in Hollywood with uh, Flanagan. He he really was like a early supporter and you know really opened a lot of doors for me. And then I started. That's how I got into stand up because the Improv on Melrose said you should come here and do it. And then Polly Shore at uh you know the Comedy Store was like you should do this show in our main room. That's why my mom built that room. You know like so I, I that's kind of how I started meeting comedians with the one man show. And then one night someone said to me like you know because the one man show is an hour long. And they said, hey, can you do what you do in an hour but in 10 minutes? And that was the 
that was the challenge to start stand up. Okay. Now I have a question when you say there's pictures and stuff like that. Now is it is there a slide? There's a screech. There basically it's all done off of a laptop. So now, while I'm talking to you and I say, you know, uh, when I'm talking about my family, there's a photo from the 70s of my mom and dad. Wall. Yeah, and it's it's all changing while I'm talking to you. So, you know, the show moves fast and the photos like I don't know how I even save these photos, but I have so I have I've you know, I have a really cool photos just from my own personal collection, but, um, the, like Ed Culver, one of the, like the legit old school punk rock photographers who was there at black flag, you know, all of these early shows in Los Angeles, he donated or let me use some of his photographs in my show. So there's, sh there's, when you come to the show, you know, even if you've never loved skateboarding, even if you never were into music at all, you'll come to the show. And, and I feel like everyone that sees it says like wow man like you know i had you know i because I, I feel everyone has a day that is a life-changing day and, and after the show i meet people they're like yeah the day for me was when i met what my happened wife on yeah you know um, what happened on your day on my day well that's like a spoiler if you don't come okay the then okay then okay well you can tell I mean, me off air yeah i can't make the show no, yeah you know um it, so it all, it all at yeah, the end it all, I, at the end it encapsulates what happened it all, yeah it all it all it's all about one day and and, and like I believe everyone has a day like that. Some people, it's the day they got sober. Um, some people, it's it's the day their kids were born. Some people, it's the day that they, you know, I remember I smoked a joint and I heard Led Zeppelin. Or, you know, I remember the first day being in Berkeley at, you know, Gilman Street and seeing, you know, Green Day. Or, you know, for other people, it's it's the day they graduated from college. Like, those days are so important. And, and this show, just because I'm a weirdo, is all about how this one day in my life really put me on. Like with this moment you and I are having, if this day wouldn't happen December 27, 1981, I wouldn't be in this room. Well, it's funny you say that because it's just like, just how things revolve around. Like, I mean, for me, the reason I got into comedy was because when I was in college, there was a contest called Mr. Stockton. It was Stockton State in New Jersey. And there was all these stud guys were entering it. And I entered it as a freshman as a joke. Well, I did a Rick Springfield air guitar to Jesse's girl. And I destroyed. I mean, and I had pics that said Steve Cooper. And my buddy put Rick Springfield on the guitar. And I ripped it up. <laughs> and that day made me go into comedy. And the weird thing is, from that, that's why I'm with my girlfriend. Even though I went to college with her, she was going to book me for a work comedy party when I hadn't seen it for 20 years and just because that one I just told her I said, I said if it wasn't for because I meet my friend yeah. who got me on stage that night I'm meeting him for a coffee on wow. uh, my back east but it's just weird you're right there's certain things that just change how your life and there's other things that you remember but there are certain things that change your life yeah I mean you know up until I and I and I think you know like that's one thing I touch on in the show um and the show's super fun too. Like everyone, you know, I don't want the listeners to think like, you know, did something bad happen? Did his mom and dad die? Like, no, parents are alive. I never was molested. Like nothing right. sketchy happened. There's no, there's no, there's nothing bad that happened. Um, and, and I made it through and I'm here and, and it's not some heavy show too that you walk out and you're like, oh God. But, um, you know, if you're in LA, it's at the meltdown. It's October 4th, 9 o'clock, and if you want tickets, I'll give away a pair right now. Uh, email me at joesib22 at gmail.com. joesib22 at gmail.com. And it's and five it, bucks. That's, that's it's a five bucks. It's a good deal. It's five bucks. So I'm going to give you tickets. Yeah. So you pay me five bucks. No, no. I'm going to give you free tickets. But hey, anyone, anyone else too? Um, uh, the True Stories Bad Ideas CD that I have, um, if, if you want, because I just love to get those out, um, email me, joesib22. 
I'm going to email you. I want one. Yeah, Joe, but ch- check it out. I will send you the digital download, and then that way you don't even have to have a CD. You download it. You fly tomorrow. You hear the five stories. So just Joseph. I can't. I can't download music onto my computer. You can't? No, because it's it's the uh, it's the Chromebook, so there's like uh, no memory. It works on the internet. Damn, but. That's all right. For all the rest of you, man, joseph22 at gmail.com. Hit, hit me an email, and I'll give you a download to True Stories, Bad Ideas, and you can hang out with me even more. If, you're not, if you haven't had enough of me to, today, which I couldn't imagine. I think everyone's had enough of me forever. Now, are you going to plan to do this show on the road again at all? Or? You know what? Because like, I know you have kids, so it's hard. As I, I always say the road's yeah. a young man's game. Oh, Totally. You know, um, am I going to do California Calling on the road? I, you know what? I think right now... Um, I did the show on the road for like two years, and I think right now, like there, there, there was a. I think what I want to do now, because when I when I didn't do, when I took a break from it from two years and just focused on stand up, when I put that put that California Calling hat back on in that show, like I changed the ending, and it also because it's two years older now, some of the stories changed. So I think what I want to do now is maybe just do the show once a year. Okay, and um, and just revisit it. No, because the funny thing is, also, I'm guessing this that now that you've been doing stand up, your delivery is a lot more tighter. Totally. Because in the beginning totally. you were doing one, but you didn't have the idea of what way know, less wordier. Right. So it's because everyone when they start off, they yeah. have to understand. That's what I love about when Twitter. I, yeah. It's like you have to you have to make a joke short. You can't sit there and go. Oh, no, 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 no. You yeah. have to go boom, boom, boom. Absolutely. It's boom, boom, boom. Hit. Are you on Twitter? I am on Twitter. Joseph twenty two. Joseph. Joseph twenty two. What's the twenty two? Um, lucky number. Okay. You know, I was in twenty two jacks. Because there's not a lot of Joe Sibs. I mean, no. Not, you, know, you know what's is so there, weird? Is there any Joe? There is a Joe Sib. There's an Asian girl named Joe Sib, and I'm That's not funny. an Asian girl. That's funny though, because there's that so many Steve Coopers. Oh my yeah. God! There's like out, out there. There's a list of Steve Coopers. Like, but there's only one Steve Cooper from New Jersey. No, that knows about Cherry Hill Skate Park. Uh, yeah, that might be. Except a guy named Steve Cooper grew up the street from me, but he was always a nerdy account. No, I, I don't like him. I like you. That's yeah, good. Thank so, you for having me, man. Sir, we have a few minutes. What, what, any more other shows? Where, where can people catch your stand up at? Because you know, stand up, yeah. I'm sure your stand up's different than. Yeah, you know yeah. my stand. I mean, my you know my stand ups. You know, it's. I mean, God, you know what? Do you notice this all the time, Steve? That there's only like you go to a show and it's like, is there really only three subjects? Sex. Um, you know, uh, penis jokes and like, like, it's like, weird. You know, I, <laughs> I really cut down my stand up a lot because I'm concentrating on this and some other stuff. But, uh, I crack up as when, cause you know, it's community, you know, a lot of people, and I know a lot of old school comics cause I was back in Philadelphia yeah. back in the day with Todd Glass, Paul Tompkins, oh, all them. Love all that. And, um, but I always crack up when I go to a show and I don't know anybody. And I, I, don't, I don't know one of the comics, and I go, this is going to be a weird show. Like, at least like David Robinson, when he books Michaels, I'll know two acts. I know David, yeah. first of all. Yeah. And I'll know two acts or three uh-huh. acts. Or it's yeah. like, it's always a cycle when you do it. It's like yeah. the same months later, same thing. But it's just weird. That's one thing about LA. There's always, there's so many comics. That, so many. I mean, out of nowhere, and they might only do it once or twice. Or I think a lot of do- people try, and then they just go, I, mean, I don't know if I want to do this anymore. Because it's a, it's like, as much as you said it's a young man game, it's a solitary game, too, man. You're right. by yourself. And like, it's tough to leave your house. Like, I know as a father, like you know I'll be with my kids and you know like I'm doing a show like I'm at the improv on Saturday night and I'm excited with Greg Barrett it's gonna be a great show um you know I'll be at uh Laugh Factory um doing uh the Brea improv with Jason Collings who by the way got to give a shout out Jason Just Collings tonight show tonight yeah. show so psyched for him such a good guy I love when stuff happens to good people he's a great guy um but with all that said um yeah my material on stage is I can't like I always joke around I'm I'm a clean comic because a lot of comics get up there and talk about sex and and, and women and sex and sex and sex and I, I I can't talk about sex because that's not happening in my life like I'm a married guy so I, I'm I'm like clean not by choice but by lifestyle you know so I'm talking you know I'm 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 a parent a husband 
And uh, that's where I'm at in my life right now at this moment. That's good, man. I want to thank you for coming on. This Thanks for having me, Steve. And I hope it works. Safe out. travel. I've never been at the improv. I've never been at, but the, the only thing, Mark Lionel's been on my show, but I've never gone on to the improv. You got to come but, on. Yeah, you know, I have to. I just, I don't, I'm not really into the stand that much. It's like, eh, yeah. Man, too many clicks, you know? Yeah. I don't like the clickiness. But when you're our age, Steve, though, there is no clicks. Yeah, I guess you're you right. You just come in, you do your set, you leave. I, like, That's what I, I do. don't hang out. I, said, I always did. I always, everyone even in Philadelphia back then, they said, you do your stuff and you get out. Yeah. there's. I mean, like, honestly, man, like, my whole vibe is, is that if I don't, like, a lot of people be like, you got to come to the club and you got to hang out. I'm like, you know what, bro? I got to take my daughter to school exactly. at 7 a.m. So either I'm on stage or I'm going home. I want to thank you, man. For thank you for out. having it's, me. It's uh, JoeSib22, and he's got a great website, uh, JoeSib.com. JoeSib.com, and anyone that wants a free uh, download, JoeSib22 at gmail.com, and come out to a show and say hi. Check it out, people. Also, uh, listen to me, uh, past episodes, CooperTalk.net. There's about 180 of them up there. Also, follow me on Twitter, at CooperTalk. Email me, Cooper at Indy100.com. Send me an email. Tell me what's going on in your life. Also, uh Cooper Talk, one word search in iTunes and Stitcher Radio. You can follow me there. And usually on Thursday nights in the Philadelphia area, I'm on a WIP Sports Radio 94 at midnight my time, 3 a.m. their time, talking about Hollywood on the Big Daddy Graham show. Oh, and this Friday, I'll be at the Marlton Comedy Cabaret right there on Route 70 in New Jersey. Come on out, 8 o'clock showtime. It's going to be a great show, my last area performance because I'm not coming back much anymore. Anyway, I want to thank you guys for listening. I'm Steve Cooper. I'm only as hip as my guests. Remember, Remember, drink your water, take your vitamins, eat your veggies. I'm going home.